If you want to turn in your Bibles to James 3, where we're going to continue on, and as we talk about the tongue, that song is very appropriate because we are talking about uh, our story, our testimony, the things that God has done in our lives, and uh, we need to tell others. He has chosen us to be the examples uh, to the world in word and in deed. And so as we talk about the difficulties, as James talks really about the difficulties of taming the tongue, um, there's challenges here. And one of the things that I want to challenge you with is, is your speech wholesome? Is your speech glorifying to God? Is your speech something that brings people into the house of God and into relationship with him? Or is it something that can uh, drive them away? And so we're going to talk about the contradictory a character of the tongue also. And so when we think about our tongue and the things that it can do, James, again, has been uh, very pointed in some of those things. And he gave us the examples again last week about a horse and the bit that's there, about a rudder on a ship, and uh, how a small thing can steer such a large thing. And then he ended up saying, you know, what a, what a fire a little uh, spark can start. And we can look at the tongue and we can see those things. And so he goes on and tells us about the difficulty of um, taming the tongue. And so verses 7 and 8 is where we're going to pick up today. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil uh, full of deadly poison. That sounds like a strong statement, but it's, it's really a true statement. If you think about it, you look around, you can see that uh, in the world, um, if you've been to zoos or different things, they have um, elephants. I mean, those are some of the biggest creatures in the world. They, they tame them. They can get them to do tricks. We can look in the ocean and see how they can uh, condition whales and different things to do things. And you can look at just about any type of creature that there is, and we can see that it has been tamed by mankind. So he makes that statement here, that it's been tamed by mankind, but he tells us this, then, that no man, he says, can tame the tongue. That's an interesting thing. You know, I think about people who um, uh, are in prison or have been in uh, war camps or any time when they're locked up, you know, you can do a lot of things. You can bring people into compliance. You can prevent them from doing certain things. Uh, but as long as they have a tongue, they can speak what they want to speak. And so the question is, again, as James goes from last week to this week, are we bridling our tongue? Or who is bridling our tongue? Or who is steering uh, the words that we say and the things that we do? James tells us that no man can tame this tongue. And so we look at that and we say, well, who does tame it then? And again... Um, it is the Holy Spirit as we submit to that Holy Spirit. You know, we can hear of a lot of things that, that uh, mankind can do. Uh, we watch a series every now and then or a show every now and then called uh, uh, Survival or Survived. And it's about people that were taken into uh, uh, either kidnapped or terrible situations that way or found themselves out in the, the wilderness all of a sudden with a broken leg and doing this or that. But I remember a long time ago reading about a man who, uh, I think he had his arm that got trapped between two rocks in a fall. And he laid there for a couple days and he understood that he was going to, to die if he um, couldn't get out of there. And so he ended up taking his own uh, little jackknife and he ended up cutting off his own arm to save himself. 
And so we hear of these survival stories and the, the, these things that, that men can do that just seem, I, I looked at that and I said, how could a person ever do that? But when it comes down to it, they are able to do that and uh, they can make it in for treatment and all these things. But yet the Bible says this little thing between our teeth, lodged in our mouth, we cannot control. We do not control the way that we should. So how do we do it? Well, we do it again by the, the power of the Holy Spirit. No man can tame the tongue. The tongue can only be brought under control, I would say, by the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we don't always allow that. As Christians, we still like to speak our peace. We'll still say pointed things. We'll still tell lies, little white lies. You know, we try to minimize them. Well, that's just a little white lie. But we gossip, we do all these different things that, that can bring damage to others. And so James is really telling us about that. He says that really only under God's authority and God's power are we able to bridle that tongue. And I found in my life, and, and again, we're, none of us are perfect and we all fall in many ways. James told us that also last week. But I understand that sometimes when I'm in a situation and I've been hurt or I've uh, had allegations or something that's there and I really want to say something that if I can get my mind focused on God for that moment, he gives me the power to either uh, restrain my tongue or to say the things maybe that he would want me to say. And so it tells us this, it's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now James is really approaching sort of a negative aspect of this and it's because a lot of times I think we use our tongue for negative things. Sometimes we have prayer chains, and the prayer, again, is a wonderful thing. But sometimes we use our prayer chains as a gossip ring. We use it just to hear the scoop about what's going on in everybody's life. Now that's all up to the individuals, but we need to understand that. Sometimes we say more about somebody than what we should. And I often ask ourselves, would you talk about that person the way that you do if they were here? And if I wouldn't, then is that something I should really be saying? The untamable tongue is even more dangerous, I think, as James points out, when we think about the poison that it can deliver. Remember, he said life and death is in the power of the tongue. You can kill relationships. You can, you can kill all sorts of things with the tongue. You can do irreparable damage with the tongue. You know, we focus in this world a lot about um, physical abuse, but do we think about verbal abuse that people take? When we're raising our children, maybe telling them, you're stupid, you're no good for anything, you're always a problem, I wish I never had you. Those words are like arrows that can pierce deep into a little child's life and, and change them for the rest of their life. And so do we use our words in a negative way. And sometimes even in coarse joking, we can do those things, even non-intentionally. So we need to think about, many times, the words that we say. A commentator said this, the poison of the tongue is no less deadly. It murders men's reputations by the slanders it utters, their souls by the lusts and passions it stirs up in them, and many times their bodies, too, by the contentions and quarrels that is raised against men. So we think about those things. We think about the allegations that are made against people, maybe just because somebody's hurt, and so they fabricate something, and the story gets bigger and bigger. When I was a, a young boy in 
church camp, I remember we used to play this game called telephone and we'd sit in a circle and they'd start a message and they'd go from this one to this one to this one and they'd go all the way around and then that last person would say what they heard and how different many times that story was going around that circle. Are we cautious about those things that we say? Have we heard it firsthand before we pass it on? Or is it just, well, you know, a friend of mine told me this about so-and-so, and, you know, those things can be deadly. They can do, again, damage. It can cause contentions. It can cause quarrels. And God says that that's not his desire. His desire is that we repent of those things and that we get right with those things, that we face up to those things. So if you found yourself in that situation where you said something that was untrue or something was done that was untrue, well, what's our first inclination? Well, they'll get over it, and we just avoid it, or we won't talk with that person because we don't want to have to face the truth of really what was done. God says we have had this ministry of reconciliation, that as Christians we are to make amends for those things that have been done. It's told of a a woman that once came to uh, John Wesley, and... um, he was teaching on, on uh, the talents, the parable of the talents, and I think we all know about that. And after the service, she had came up to him and she said, I think my talent from God is to speak my mind. And he said, I think that's one of the talents that you could bury. And you know, in the scriptures, in the parable of the talents, God got mad about the one person that buried his talent, right? But Wesley said, you know, sometimes just thinking that we have to say uh, whatever's on our mind, we think is sometimes a good thing, or, oh man, that person's just bold. I would say speaking everything that comes to mind is really unwise, because we haven't thought about it, we haven't prayed about it, we haven't thought of the consequences that maybe come with that. And so he goes on and tells us this, with it we bless our God, our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings in cursings, it says. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And so John, or, uh, James has this way of, of answering the question, but he's giving us these parables that I think are just like down to earth. Like I said, I believe that, that he's this blue-collar type of a preacher. And he's given us these pictures in our mind that say, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Those things don't happen. You know, salt water and fresh water does not come out of the same well or out of the same spring. And no, olive trees don't bear frigs or grapevines. They don't do those things. They bear the fruit that is there. And so he begins it, though, with it we bless our God, our Father, and we curse men. See, the, the tongue can be used for the highest calling. And the highest calling that we have is to praise God, to give God the glory and the honor. He tells us whatever we do in word and in deed, do it unto the glory of God. And so it can be used for our highest calling to bless God, but it can also be used for the lowest evil. And that's to curse man. That's to spread untruths. That's to talk negatively about people. And even when people have done things that are wrong, We don't need to sit and dwell and curse them for those things. They are in God's hands for those things. You know, it was Peter's tongue that confessed Jesus the Messiah. And says, flesh hasn't revealed this to you, but the Holy Spirit, he he praised God and he, he confessed him as the Messiah, the Son 
of the living God. And just a few days later, he was cursing Jesus out in the courtyard, separated from him. He denied him, it says, with curses. Think of that. That's a strong, vulgar type language. He was trying to prove something different. So James says this shouldn't be. He's praising God, and then he's cursing. Do we do that same thing in our life? The Apostle John said, little children, love one another. We went through that a few months ago in in the little books of John. Little children, love one another. But he was also the one who wanted to bring the, the word of fire down upon the Samaritans. Think about that. James says, these things should not be. Our speech should be consistently glorifying God. Our speech should be consistently seasoned with what God would have us to say and not just what we want to say. We shouldn't use uh, one vocabulary in church and another vocabulary out on the streets. You know, I've had a a couple different people in my lives in churches that sometimes would say, well, uh, this is going to be a little coarse, but, you know, like they have to talk this way. And I will come curse words and different things like this as they're trying to explain something to me. And I like to ask them, do you need to use those words to explain what you're explaining? Now, these are people that call themselves Christians. I work in the prison, and sometimes I understand. I got guys that are coming in to counsel with me uh, that their issue is much more large than the words that they're saying. But for Christians that call, and they'll say, oh, this is a little trucker talk, or this is, you know, this or that. We need to think about those words that we say. Are they consistently glorifying God? Because we shouldn't be using one vocabulary in church and one out. Maybe when you come to church or you're in a Bible study or in your Christian fellowship, maybe you clean up your language and you don't do those things or say those things. But what about when you leave? They should be consistent. You shouldn't be using a different one at home and a different one on the job. A lot of times that's an easy thing to do. You get in a group or a circle of people and they talk a certain way and and we just sort of join in and chime in on those things. We need to be cautious about the words that we say. Because this is like a spring of water. Our mouth shouldn't send forth fresh and bitter from the same. What is your mouth sending forth? What are you speaking for the world to hear? Moffat said this, this outburst of James suggests that he had suffered from a strife of tongues in the religious world. It reads like a transcript of a bitter experience. There are several commentators that really believe that James, being the pastor and the leader of this large church in Jerusalem, came under a lot of false accusations and a lot of uh, criticism, as leaders do, and that's why we pray for our leaders weekly, our, our deacons and our elders and our pastors, those that are leading studies, because they can come under criticism quite often and the, the, the result of that sometimes is we want to strike back somebody says something about my family I want to defend them and sometimes I can say well, well what about your family I know this about your family and boom 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 you get in that circle of, of negativity and so James probably had suffered a lot of these things and so he's trying to wake the church up again and saying Be careful of what you say. Be careful of how you say it. Because remember last week we said, it's not just what you say, but sometimes it's how you say it. And so James is challenging the church in these areas. 
He says, no spring yields both salt and fresh water. James points out the ultimate impossibility of that to come forth. And so he says, as a Christian, that shouldn't be happening. If bad fruit and bitter water comes forth, it means that there's really no contradiction. It means that the tree is bad, or that the well is bad. We need to think about that consistently in our life and as we look at others. We don't know the, the eternal relationship. I can't, I can't see your heart. I know your profession. I know what I see. But what are we showing the world? Is the world shocked when you say, this person's a Christian or I'm a Christian? Do they say, you're a Christian? And they look at it that way? Like, oh, I would have never guessed you to be a follower of the Lord. Why might they think that? Are we showing them something in our life that we shouldn't be showing them? Jesus taught in Matthew 12 that a man's words are really a reliable exposure of his inner condition, of his inner character, of his inner being. And I know people don't like to be judged. Oh, you're getting judgy on this. Well, no, we follow what the scripture says. In Matthew 12, it says this. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Scripture, gospel, out of Matthew 12. A tree is known by its fruit. You are going to be known by how you conduct yourself. You are going to be known by your character, by the things that you do and the things that you say. He goes on to say, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Matthew is telling us here in this gospel that it really the words that we speak, the things that we do, are a reflection of what's going on in our heart. See, it's like that tongue and, and the bridle. You know, it, it, you can't control your heart that Christ doesn't have it. And so eventually those things are going to spill out. Eventually those things are going to work themselves out of you if you don't have that relationship with him. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, sometimes we think about that when somebody really gets hurt. I remember when, when um, we started um, looking at, I say dabbling sometimes in Christianity. We had Christian friends. They were teaching it. We didn't understand the whole thing, or at least I should say I didn't understand the whole thing of a personal relationship. We were going to church. We were involved in some studies. I had Christian friends and, um, you know, trying to be moral, trying to be the, the good person. Um, but I struggled with it. I always struggled with it. But I remember one time uh, I was up doing something, some construction thing, and smashed my hand. And, and the words came out, you know, how that happens. And I was really challenged. And I look back at that, and it was because, you know, I, I didn't know Christ. I hadn't learned to control those things. And Satan sometimes can put those words in our head. But when we're hurt, when somebody has insulted us, what do we say back? When our temper gets away on us and God tells us that we need to learn to bridle that, that's all part of being under the, the sway of the Holy Spirit. When our temper gets away from us, do we say evil, hurtful things? So in Matthew it says that. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. So even though the Bible says none is good, he's talking about this relationship with Jesus Christ. He says if you're born again, 
and, and Jesus is alive in you, you have the Holy Spirit in you, it says out of that heart is going to bring forth good things. So a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And it says an evil man out of the evil in his heart brings forth evil things. And so he gives us that, that clear example. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account for it in the day of judgment. Think about that. That's a sobering thought. Every idle word we speak. Speaking things that we shouldn't, just to, just to be heard. Hurtful things that we, we may be saying. The arrows that we pierce others with, the gossip that we get involved with. He says we are going to give account a for that in the day of judgment to God. It says, and he ends this way, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words are powerful. The Bible tells us. Our words are very powerful. The words that we say. Are we using our words to bring others to Christ? Are we using words to get our own way? Are we using words to hurt other people? So he says, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Spurgeon gives a couple of little quotes on this. It would be a, mon a monstrosity, a thing to wonder at and stared at as unnatural and absurd if a fig tree started to bear forth olive berries and it is unnatural for a Christian to live in sin so is it not, he's not saying that we don't sin but to continue in sin we have the life of David I love the life of David David, God said he's a man after my own heart and yet he found himself in different spots but God was always speaking to him and he was always returning back to God He's saying us here for a Christian to live in sin. To continue in sin and have it not even bother you. To justify it and to, to say that's not even a problem. You maybe don't even think about those things. He goes on to say, unless you are regenerated, born from above by a new and heavenly birth, you are not a Christians. Whatever you may be called, and you cannot produce the fruit which is acceptable to God any more than a fig tree can produce olive berries. See, there's a lot of moral people in the world. There's probably people that are more moral than a lot of Christians that are walking around. They don't know Christ. But it says that those things don't bring glory to God. They're not acceptable to God because they're not done for God. If you're a born-again believer, the things that we do are for God. They're a gift to Him. Our life is a, is a gift, is a living testimony to Him. I was thinking, uh, and I can't remember the name of it, but um, I like ground cherries. When we plant our garden, I like these little ground cherries. They're just a little cherry and a little husk. Grandkids like them. I love them. And one, one year we bought some from a, a greenhouse, and all of a sudden they, they got real big like this, and inside was a big green, but it wasn't a ground cherry. And I can't remember what it was, like a tolato or something like that. It was something different. But the sign said, ground cherry when I bought it, the little sticker that was in it. So you can label a fig tree an olive tree, but that's not going to make it an olive tree, is it? You can trim a fig tree to look like an olive tree, and that doesn't make it an olive tree. You can treat a fig tree like an olive tree, it doesn't make it an olive tree. You can surround that fig tree with other olive trees, still not 
uh, an olive tree, right? And you can transplant that fig tree even on the very Mount of Olives, and it doesn't make it an olive tree. Do you get that picture of the church? Do you get that picture of people maybe professing Christians? You can call yourself a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian. It's only by that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can look like a Christian, dress like a Christian. It does not make you a Christian. We can treat people like Christians. That doesn't make them a Christian either. See, we can do all these things. We can surround them. We can say, come to church. And we can surround them, but that doesn't make them a Christian. Matter of fact, churches are probably filled this morning with people that are not Christians. You can transplant a person to the best church. That doesn't make them a Christian. It's that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's your desire in your heart. And how do you know? Because it says, my spirit testifies with his spirit. I desire to be close to him. I desire to want to do what it is that he has called me to do. I desire to to be obedient to him. I want to give his Holy Spirit control of my life. My tongue, my eyes, my ears, my actions. Whatever we do in word or deed, we want to do it all to the glory of God. Is that where you are today? Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Or are you a fig tree trying to masquerade as an olive tree? That's a question we all need to ask ourselves. As we close today, let us ask the Lord to look into our hearts, to see those things that, that need to be changed. And then let's purpose in our heart to know Him personally, and to follow him. Let's pray.